Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. And let's read the scripture. This is uh, from Haggai, uh, first of all, from chapter two, verses six through nine. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and all the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I, in this place, will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. And then skipping to the end of the book, uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. On that same day, December 19th, the Lord sent this message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and earth. And I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the powers of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and the riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiael, my servant. And I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord. For I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, there it is. All right. Thank you, Josh. And over the course of this series, we have made our way through the entire book of Haggai there with our readings, and we've been looking at this Old Testament book and being inspired to continue to build the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is, is uh, building people, not physical structures. At that time, they're being compelled to build a temple and rebuild what was torn down after their exile, but in this day and age, we are investing in the people of God, building up individuals and, and folks and people. And we've been talking uh, through this uh, about various focuses of his message, foci. What's the plural? Is it foci? Uh, who cares? Anyways, uh, we've been talking about Haggai's messages and this idea of priorities and not getting discouraged by the progress and having a purity of heart. And today is about the potential of what we're building. And see what I did there? They all alliterate, so you know it's special. Uh, you're all going to remember it really well. But potential, this idea of potential, you know, I, I, at one time, April and I would sit and we would watch those design shows, you know, things like Fixer Upper. How many Fixer Upper fans do we have in the room, right? Few people love Fixer Upper. Uh, I used to watch it and think, Joanna Gaines is brilliant, and Chip, he's on way too much caffeine. I don't know how he does it, right? He's, he's, I want to be that happy, and I just can't be that happy. I don't know how he does it. But what I find interesting about a show like Fixer Upper is their ability to see the potential. They can take this garbage house and they can see things that nobody else can see. I'm looking at it and thinking, no, you can't do that. This is what you can't do. And you watch any design show like Fixer Upper or whatever, and they can renovate and they can turn things over. Some of you like fashion shows where they can take, you know, just this pile of fabric and they can turn it into something beautiful. Some of you like renovation shows. You like gardening shows. You like different things. But I'm inspired by that. The dreamers, the visionaries, the artists, the designers, their ability to see beyond the current circumstance and they can see the potential 
oh man, you should see the potential of this house, right? And I look at it, and I'm like, that's just a rusty old warehouse. I see a tetanus shop. And what do they see? They see beauty. They see renovation. They see potential. Haggai's message today is going to challenge us to dream and to see the potential of what God is building, that we would have the eyes of Chip and Joanna uh, in terms of our church, in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of the people around us, and that we wouldn't look at just the surface-level circumstances, but we would see the potential of what God could be building. But this is a challenge for some of us. This is a challenge for people like me because I tend to focus on the problems instead of the potential. Anybody else like that? Who focuses on the problems rather than the potential? Right? The realists in the room. That's what we call ourselves. Right? Oh, the practical people. Right? I can see all the problems, why it won't work. We can focus on why we can't do it, the hardships, the difficulties, the cost, the red tape. We can see the past of like, well, we tried that and it didn't work, and so I know it's not going to work this time around. Right? Whatever it is. We can't see the potential in something, whether it be a home renovation project or, or a ministry in the church or we're going to two services again. All I can think of is the problem, Sean. We can't do that, right? Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this outreach. All I see is the problems instead of the potential. And Haggai wants to adjust their attention because all they're seeing is a pile of bricks, a smaller foundation. It's not as good. It's not this. It's not that. And they see all the problems as to why they can't build they're not seeing the potential of what God is trying to, to edify, what God is trying to establish, right? And so two of the problems that they tend to focus in on and, and God tends to highlight in this passage here is a problem of provision. The cost is troublesome to them. Some of us resonate with this one. We get worried with, how much is this going to cost me? My resources are limited. My time is limited. There's a lot of limita limitations. And the lacking resources of that time we're causing people to look at the temple and say, I don't know how this is going to work, Haggai. Zerubbabel's over here like, I'm doing the numbers, man. I'm crunching it. Bottom line says, I don't know if this is going to work out like you say it's going to work out. And we're driven by this kind of QuickBooks accounting perspective in life, and all we can see is the provision problem. And then God is trying to open their eyes to say, see the potential. Stop focusing on the problem. Look at verses 6 through 8. This is what God says. Through Haggai, he says, For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I again will shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So they're sitting there saying, well, we can't afford it. And God's saying, well, watch this. I'm going to treat the heavens and the earth like a piggy bank. Right? Like, can't you just picture a kid with their piggy bank trying to get their coins out? And they, what do they do? They shake that thing and they turn it upside down and they shake it. I hate piggy banks, right? And even with the plug, that plug just, it's tough. And, but you, what you can picture is that kid just shaking that piggy bank. And God's telling Haggai and he's telling the people of Israel, You're worried about how we're going to afford this. Man, I, I own all the silver and gold in the world, everything on this planet is his. And he's going to bring about the resource, make it happen. He's going to make it possible because what you see in this word shake, right? Just like that little child holding a piggy bank is what? You see power. You see control. You see the one that is in authority. The kid is in the authority over the piggy bank. As, as the piggy bank doesn't want to open up very well, but it, ultimately that kid's going to get what they want out of it. 
But God's saying the same thing. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to make it possible. Everything's going to come to this temple that you guys are building and investing your energy into, and you're worried about how we're going to afford it. I'm bigger than that, is what God's saying. My bank account is vastly superior to yours. Why are you worried? Why are you focused on that? Let's view our money differently. Let's view our resources differently. Let's view our limitations differently because God is in control. God is bigger than that. There's a story from, uh, from our Foursquare founder. Those of you that, that didn't know, we were part of the Foursquare denomination, and we were uh, a, a tribe of churches started in the 20s in Southern California by a gal named Amy Simple McPherson. And she was building this, she had this vision to build the temple, right? As much as I talk about building the kingdom of God is people, she had a vision to build a building again, like Haggai did. And it, it was going to be this massive structure in the 20s, right there in LA. And she had enough money to get the excavator to dig a hole. That's all she had money for. And the excavator's like, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, dig a hole, and God will fill it. And she's quoted as saying that. Dig a hole, and God will fill it. God will take care of the rest. And you know what? He did. Look at this picture of what Angela's Temple looks like. Right? Back in the day, thousands of people filling this place. Healings, miracles, the gospel being preached, salvations, baptisms, Revival took place back in the 20s. This building was opened up for services in their community, not just for church services, but like food bank services and ministries to meet needs in their community. And they were building something that they didn't probably realize it at the time, but what comes shortly after the 20s? The Great Depression. And Angela's Temple became a beacon of hope during a desperate time. And at one point, all she had the money to do was dig a hole. Oh, we can't do it, we can't do it. You see, we, we, see we, can't, we don't see the potential of what God is building because we're fixated on the problem of provision. Oh, this is why we can't do it, God. The other problem that I think God points to here is this people problem. Because if it's not a money thing, it's sometimes people. People are worried about the social and political pressures that they're going to encounter. Well, if we build this temple, then people are against us, and we're going to argue, we're going to fight, we're going to get opposition to what we're trying to do. There's political pressure from the government of the time. There's opposition of different people groups that don't like that they're building this temple and all of this, right? And this is what God says. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. This is a different verse than what I just read. He's not, he's not rereading. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and the riders will kill each other. Happy Sunday, right? You read that verse? What a fun verse that is. But what God is, is trying to remind them is that I'm in control of this. If I've called you to build something here, you're worried about, but the opposition, the pressure, the social awkwardness and all of these. And God's got it. God's gonna shake things up He's going to be in the, in the process of building this up. And we develop such a fear at times to being obedient to God and trusting in God because we're worried about, well, what are people going to say, God? And we feel that hesitation inside. People are going to reject us. People are going to think differently about us. They're going to know I'm a Christian. They're going to treat me differently. How are people going to respond? It's going to affect my relationship. It's going to become awkward. It's going to do all that. Nobody wants that, right? Nobody in this room is like, bring on the social awkwardness or the opposition, 
but we allow it to stop our progress. We allow it to stop the, the potential, and we can't see the potential of what God is building because we're worried about, well, what is the community gonna think? What are my friends gonna think? What is my coworker gonna think? What is my family gonna think? We have this problem with people and we get fixated on that problem to a point where we, we stop dreaming. We stop thinking about, well, what does the church need to be to reach this community for the gospel and for the kingdom of God? What do I need in order to build the people of this church and the people of this community? And we're worried about, well, what are people going to think about me? What opposition am I going to encounter? And Haggai is trying to get their attention off of those things and, and encourage them to start thinking about the truth of who God is. And I look at those two corrections there as he talks about the provision and the people and that opposition. We're not going to lay into those problems for too long because today is about potential. It's not about problems. But those are things that stop us. But Haggai's trying to tell them God, God's God. He's doing the heavy lifting. To use the building uh, vernacular and phrasing, right? God's the one doing all of the lifting. You ever try to lift a couch with your kid? And they're like, oh, dad, I got it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm carrying the brunt of this, right? You're the one going down the stairs. You always love being that guy, right? Carrying the couch down the stairs. And you have the whole thing. And then the person on the top's like, yay, we got it. And they could like lift it with a pinky, right? Because by the time you're going down the stairs, when you're on top, you've got nothing. You're just like, good luck. <laughs> God's doing the heavy lifting. Haggai's trying to tell the people of Israel, God's doing the heavy lifting here. Stop depending on your own strength, your own capacity, your own talent, your own plans, your own organization. Start dreaming as if God was the one doing the lifting. Start dreaming as if it was the Holy Spirit that was empowering us, not just your talent. The God of the universe, who is bigger and greater and smarter and more powerful than any of us, is doing the heavy lifting. How would you start dreaming today? I also see in here that God doesn't quit. These people are returning from exile, returning from captivity. They're building this temple. They want to quit, and yet God is reminding them, keep going. What that tells me is our God doesn't quit on us. And some of us feel like God's quit on you. God isn't done. God finishes what he says he's going to start. He's going to see it to completion. He's going to see it to the finish line. He's not done. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't lose hope. He doesn't give up. God is faithful, and he will watch it and lift and work until the job is done. It's not like you and me. Once we take a lunch break, we're like, I don't really want to finish that job, right? You're helping somebody move, again, with the building and the moving and all that exertion, right? I've learned with enough moving days, don't feed until you're done. <laughs> nope. We will eat once the truck is unloaded, not just loaded. Because after you eat, you're like, I'm finished, man. I don't want to do this anymore. And God doesn't take a lunch break and then like, oh, good luck, Hub City. These are two aspects of what God is, is all about and what Haggai's trying to point their attention to. He's doing the work. He's doing the heavy lifting. And he doesn't quit. He doesn't get tired. And if we begin to believe that, I think we begin to see the potential of what God is building, both in us and through us. So I'll talk about what's happening through us of what God is building. In verses 7 through 9, you begin to see the potential of what temple they are building. It is more than just a physical structure. Look at verse 7 through 9. I will fill this place with glory. This is the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 9, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. 
It's going to be filled with his glory. You see, they had dedicated the, the foundation of it before the walls went up. And they didn't see what they saw before. They didn't see the smoke. They didn't see the pillar of fire. They were worried. What are we doing? Are we doing the right thing? And Haggai has to remind him, this place is going to be filled with the glory of God. The presence of God is going to be present in this temple that they are building. The temple is, is symbolic and, and sometimes referred to as, as a footstool of heaven. Imagine God using the temple as its ottoman. It just gives you this idea of the magnitude of God's size. That the temple was just kind of this breakthrough point in which heaven touched earth. But the temple was going to be filled with the glory of God. Generations later, when the disciples are looking at the temple with Jesus, look at how they describe it. One of the disciples, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Rewind to the people building it, and they're like, this is smaller, it's not as good. I don't know if God's in this. And yet you fast forward generations later, this place is amazing. That's what the disciples are saying. This place is going to be filled with the glory of God. This place is going to be filled with the presence of God. With every brick that they're laying, this is an opportunity for people to come into the temple and encounter the presence of the living God. But not only that, he begins to, to shift gears into the future glory. Did you catch that? In verse 9, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. Everyone was living in the past. Oh, Solomon's temple, it was amazing, and it was magnificent and luxurious and all of these things. And he says the future glory is greater than the past. What does he mean by that? It may not look the same, but this temple is going to far surpass it. Not, not, not in its grandeur of size and, and dynamics and Instagram ability, right? But it's going to be greater in that the presence of God isn't just... Um, for the priests, this is going to be the temple the Messiah is going to walk into. God in the flesh is going to stand in this place. You ever been to a, a historic site because a famous person used to live there? I remember we visited, we were in Tennessee, we visited a former president's uh, residence. Why? Because a president used to live there. And you look at his house and you look at the terrible toilet from back in the day and no electricity and you'd walk around their land and see all this stuff. Why did we go there? Because a president used to own it and live there and he's dead, right? Uh, but hey, it, where they were, right? You ever been to a childhood house of somebody famous? Oh, this is where they grew up and this is where Bono went or this is where, you know, LeBron James played basketball as a kid or something like that. You go to these historic locations. We, there is a garage in Palo Alto that is now hallowed ground because that's where Jobs and Wozniak started Apple. Well, this temple that they are building, Haggai's saying, it's going to far surpass. And it's not just because of the way it looks and the way that it feels, but this is the temple that the Messiah is physically going to be present I don't even know if Haggai realizes it in that moment when he says the future is going to be greater than the past. But no other temple that had been built did, did the Messiah go into. This was the temple. This was the one where Jesus would show up and he would teach and he'd flip over tables. And this is the one where he would usher in a new covenant saying, you can be right with God and it's not by works. It's not by the sacrifices of this and doing these festivals. I'm ushering in a new covenant 
where God and humanity could be restored in relationship. That temple is going to far surpass the previous. I wonder if Haggai, like I said, he's saying these things. Does he even resonate with the magnitude of what he's saying? This temple is going to be bigger and better than we ever thought. What's going to happen in this temple? And sometimes if you look at Scripture, God shows up and he tells people about the potential of what he's building. And I don't know that us as humans, we fully grasp the, the scale at which he's talking about. Look at biblical moments where Abram is told by God that all of his family is going to be a blessing to the nations. You, all nations are going to be blessed through you. Does he understand what that means? That at some point, the Messiah is going to come through his genealogy and all nations can find God through the Messiah. Does Abraham realize that in that dark night when God shows up and tells him that? I don't think he sees the full magnitude and scale and potential. But he hears something that it, it causes him to dream. Your kids are going to be like the sand of the, of the beach. You're, you're, you're going to have more stars in the sky. You're going to have more kids than there are stars in the sky. God begins to show him the potential of what's going to happen, even though he doesn't fully grasp the intricacies and magnitude of it. David is told that his family line would be on the throne forever, and he probably literally thought that. Oh, we're always going to have somebody on the, crown, on the throne, right? And eventually, the kingdom crumbles, they're thrown in exile, all of these things happen, various kings, and they don't have a king, and all of this stuff happens, but who's the king that sits on the throne forever? It's Jesus, and Jesus is a part of David's family line. Does David get that in the moment? No, but he, he's given a promise by God that allows him to see the potential that far exceeds his circumstance. Think about the disciples hanging out with Jesus and the kingdom that they thought he was building. They thought, man, this guy's going to overthrow Rome. Jesus had something so much bigger. But it gave them the ability to see the potential. Can we see the potential of what God is building in and through this church? Even if it exceeds anything we could ever imagine, and whatever your mind immediately goes to, I want you to just think, God's bigger than that. God's got a bigger heart for that. God is building Hope City Church. Do you see the potential? And it's more than a task. It's more than just signing up for a serve team. It's more than a building and getting a new location. It is so much more than that. But do we see the potential of what God could be building through his church? Part of building God's kingdom, making and growing disciples, that which affects eternity. That stirs me to think about the potential, that I could be investing my life into something that's going to affect eternity. Let's dream about that. And God sees potential not just in what we do and what he's going to do through us, but he sees potential in you. And in verse 23, this is, this is the last part of Haggai's message, and I found it interesting that he begins to shift to an individual. He goes from a group of people to this individual, Zerubbabel, and, and he says, but when this happens, the Lord of, says the Lord of heaven's armies, verse 23, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of that guy, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. He's going to be a servant leader, He's going to lead people, but he's drawing 
drawing on the potential of what he sees in this individual. More than just a people group, he sees potential in this individual. You are going to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus, whether you know it or not. You are going to be a part of something so much bigger. You're going to be a servant leader of God's people. You're going to be one helping lead the charge in this project, man. You're going to bring encouragement. You're going to bring life. You're going to bring hope. You're going to bring glory of God to this place. And this is awesome. And what is he doing? He's not just speaking of what he's doing. He now speaks to who he is. I will make you a signet ring on my finger. I have chosen you. What does he begin doing? He begins speaking value over the man. You are valuable. This ring that he's talking about. This king's ring, it would be a ring that the king would wear, and it was symbolic of the king's favor. It was etched with his symbolism, and wherever that ring was was symbolic of the king. Now, the, what gave the ring value? It wasn't what it was made of. It was who possessed it and what it represented. It didn't matter what it was made of. It was That ring had value because it belonged to the king. That ring mattered because it was on the king's finger. And what he's saying is, hey, Zerubbabel, you matter because you belong to the king. You matter because you are with me, and I am with you. And I bring value to your life, I bring purpose to your life, and you are my prized possession. You represent me. Our value comes by being in possession of the king. Think of the potential that God sees in you, that he looks at you and says, you matter, you're valuable, you have significance, you have purpose. Haggai saying this to Zerubbabel, Paul says this, the Apostle Paul says this to God's people in Ephesus. In chapter 2, verse 10, I think these words just echo what Haggai's trying to communicate when he says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are create, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. We focus in on all the problems, but yet Paul sees Hey, I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. Do you see yourself the way your heavenly father would see you? We see ourselves the way our earthly father saw us. We see ourselves the way our spouse sees us or our friends see us or our boss sees us. Do I see myself the way my heavenly father sees me? We are God's masterpiece. We are the ring on his finger. You are his workmanship. That's how God sees you. What do you do with a masterpiece? Take care of it. You view it as valuable. You view it as precious. It's important to you. Will you see yourself the way God sees you? Will you see the potential of becoming God's masterpiece? Some of you don't view yourself that way today. Would you view yourself as a masterpiece and see the potential of who God could build you and create you to be? To stop seeing all the problems and start seeing the potential. Stop seeing the problems and start seeing the potential. The problems that we have when we look at ourselves, well, we look at what? My age is a problem. My gender is a problem. My education level is a problem. My race is a problem. My time is a problem. My talents are a problem. My this is a problem. We focus in on all the problems, and I'm talking about your potential, and you're like, here, Sean, here's my list of problems why I can't be used by God for that. Nope. Like I say, shift your perspective. Stop. You're being like Zerubbabel. I'm not good. I'm not this. I'm not this. Baby. You are valuable. You are his workmanship. You are the valuable ring on the king's finger. Start seeing the potential of who you are. It's like that scene out of uh, Back to the Future, right? Remember the movie Back to the Future? 
classic movie. Marty goes back in time, and he's sitting in the diner, and he sees his dad. Well, one of the, it has nothing to do with, with McFly, but, but Marty goes, and, and he's talking, and he hears the, the custodian, Goldie, Goldie Wilson, right? Remember the gentleman with the broom, and he's cleaning, and, and they're talking, and, and Marty says, yeah, you're going to be mayor someday, right? Because he's from the future, and he comes back. He says, you're going to be mayor. And how, what's that guy's reaction? <gasps> mayor. Goldie Wilson, I'm going to be mayor, right? And he smiles, and he perks up, and he starts sweeping differently. He starts living differently. Why? Because Marty gave him something to see potential. You're more than just a guy that cleans a restaurant. That's the way his boss saw him. But the way Marty saw him, you're going to be mayor. And it changed the way he viewed himself. How many times does God show up in Scripture and change the way people view themselves? Abram, you're going to be the father of all nations. Gideon, you're going to step out of this lonely pit of despair, and you're going to go lead an army. David, you're going to be this little, tiny little brother sitting out in the sh- with the sheep fields. You're going to be the king. Simon, you're, you're more than just a fisherman that stinks. Get over here. You're going to fish for men. Saul, you're more than just a church killer <laughs> and a Christian hunter. You're going to be an apostle. You're going to lead. You're going to pioneer You're going to reach people that are unreached. You see, God has an ability of showing up in our lives and showing us the potential of what we can become. And we can perk up. We can begin to be like Goldie Wilson. Oh, is that possible? Abraham, Gideon, Moses, David, Saul, Simon, you. Start seeing yourself as God's masterpiece. Stop seeing the problems and see from God's perspective, who you've been created to become. And so I want to end with this, this challenge for us to dream for the future in twofold. I want you to dream about what the potential is in you and the potential through you. To dream about the future. The dream about the future in you, right? How's God going to grow you this season? To not be satisfied with who you were and who everybody else thinks you are, but to grow in this season of life and say, this is who God has made me to be. See the potential of dreaming big about seeing yourself the way God sees you. Your relationship with Jesus, your calling, your purpose, your talents, your worth, your identity. Are we taking time to really dream about who God sees us to be? And secondly, not just in you, but through you right? Dream about how God's going to use you to make new disciples or to develop current disciples. When was the last time we stopped and just dreamed? Dreamed about church. Not just go to church. I mean dreamed about your church. Don't just pray for your church or give to your church or volunteer at your church. I'm saying, when was the last time you stopped and dreamed about, God, what are you doing at Hub City Church? In a good way, not what are you doing. More of a, what are you going to do in Hub City, right? The whole inflection changes that whole question. What are you doing at Hub City Church? And that's our now what point for this week. In the booklet and online and all this stuff, every week we've been giving you kind of a now what takeaway and action step. Now what is just simply take time to be with Jesus and dream. Dream about what God is going to do in and through your church. I mean, really dream. What does our community need? What does Hub City need to be to reach our community and make new disciples? And the potential possibilities. Don't just do what I say. 
Don't just, you know, oh, okay, well, I need to serve here and I need to do, I mean, have you dreamed? I don't know if you felt that permission. I'm giving you permission to dream about your church. I'm not saying I'm going to be the solution to it, but I'm not talking about problems today. Today is about the potential of what God could do. Dream about who needs to be reached in our city. Who's unreached? Think about it. You don't have to shout it out, right? But I want you to think about it. Who's unreached by the gospel right now? Dream about how we're going to bring the gospel to them. What, what, what discipleship do we need to see in our church so that people are moving and growing and developing in their faith? Not just new disciples, but more mature disciples. That we see salvations and baptisms and miracles and healings and spirit baptisms and people called to, called to ministry, called to the mission field, called to start churches. When was the last time we dreamt about starting a new church? Does Cedro Woolley need a new church? I think they do. Does Mount Vernon need more churches? Yes. Xana Cordes? Yes. Does Seattle need more churches? Apparently they don't. Uh, I don't know what's going on in this room. Yes, right? The whole world needs churches. And they're not going to be started by me. They're going to be started by his family, by all of us. And we're dreaming about these things. Are we dreaming about people discovering their calling? Tyler was an example of somebody who, when I met him, was 18 years old, just graduating high school, and God's radically changed his life. God saw potential in that young man. And he sees the same potential in all of us. Not to do the same things, but to build his kingdom through your talents, through your abilities, through your time, through your sphere of influence, through you. Because you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. And I, I, I want us to understand that, to believe that, and to begin to dream. Stop looking at the problems. Start seeing the potential of what God's going to do. Start dreaming about what our community needs. I heard a story about this little church that... It was during COVID, April, that the church started that, that basketball building. Yeah. So during COVID, they recognized that um, their community didn't have a basketball court where kids could go play basketball and they could have basketball games for their schools and things like that. So this church just built a basketball court. But they were a church where they would look at all the money and say, we, don't, we can't afford that. How are we going to do this? Right? I should really have you come up and share this story instead of me. You, you know the story? Come on. Get up here. Give it up for April. Come on. Come up here and tell the story. April's got a new job in the denomination, and she heard this cool story. Can you just tell it real quick? Because I'm butchering it. Okay. So there's this church in Wyoming. Wyoming. Um, they are uh, they're really close to the tribe in their area, and they looked around and saw a need within their community. The tribe high school didn't have a place for their basketball team. There wasn't a community place where moms and kids could gather and play, and so what they decided is, we're going to put all our resources into building a community center. And so they built a community center for their community. And um, their church council and everyone looked around and said, we don't have the money for this, so why are you going to do this? And they said, we're going to meet a need first and God will help us. And um, now it's paid off. The community helped them pay off this building and they are able to serve their community and the high school uses it, community uses it as a way, um, and they use it as a church, but ultimately six days a week it's used for their community. And so that's a pretty cool story. That's a, much better than the way I was telling it. <laughs> yes, very good. But see, it's about looking at your community and dreaming. 
It's about being in conversations with Jesus and giving yourself permission to dream about the potential of what God could do. God's not done with Burlington or Mount Vernon or Cedro or Anacortes or all of Skagit County. God's not done. He's going to do the heavy lifting. Are we willing to dream? That's the first step. We're willing to start talking honestly with Jesus about these things and seeing our city through the lens of our Heavenly Father. What do you want to build? What do you want to do? And I believe, just like Haggai said to them, man, it's going to vastly surpass what's been done previously. And it's probably going to look and feel differently than we could ever imagine. We might think it's going to look and feel this certain way. They didn't know when they were building the temple the Messiah was literally going to stand in the building. And we don't know what God's going to do in our city and in our community. But I believe that God's not done. He's not done with this church. He's not done with you. He's not done with this city. And this week, will you stop and will you just start dreaming? Can we start praying? And can we start getting excited about what God wants to do? Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.